Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Joe. Thank you, Pastor Tom, for the opportunity to share the Word of God here on the Sunday after Christmas. Did everyone have a good Christmas? And are you going to have a good New Year? Uh, the, the topic this morning is sacred interruptions, but let's just talk about interruptions for a little bit. How many of you love to be interrupted while you're sleeping, while you're eating, while you're doing your homework? Oh, yeah. Interruptions, uh, I was thinking about interruptions, and, uh, and, and these moments in, in my life stand out. It was... Uh, a fundraiser for a Free Methodist Church I was pastoring. We were in the VFW Hall. My daughter, Christina, was three years old at the time. We had ZD and meatballs. I remember that for a particular reason. And, uh, and Christina was having a ball with all the other kids from the church running around. And, and then she got tired out, and so she came and sat on Daddy's lap. And my, I had my multicolored sweater on that I was so proud of. I looked like Joseph in his coat of many colors. And then all of a sudden, Christina wrapped her arms around my neck. It was a tender moment. And every piece of ziti and meatball just landed on my sweater. She threw up all over me. And she was, she was proud of the fact that she never threw up, except that one time, Daddy, with you. A nice interruption, wonderful interruption this week. I was scheduled to get a haircut, uh, my hairdresser, and she called on Monday, and Tuesday would be the haircut day, and she said, got to close up for two weeks. I've been, uh, somebody from my, from my customer realm called and said they tested positive, so I'm done for two weeks. So could somebody help me? Do you have a, like a weed whacker or something for my hair? <laughs> Probably not. I'll, I'll be all right, I think. So sacred interruptions are a little bit different than, than regular interruptions. Sacred interruptions, are, to me, are based on a, on, a, on a sentence that was very popular back in the 60s and 70s and 80s. It was the first sentence of uh, four steps, uh, steps to peace with God and the four spiritual laws, Bill Bright, Billy Graham. And the first step always was God loves you and God has a plan for your life. So that's where sacred interruption really come in. But first we have to get through this idea that, that we're just completely free to be interrupted by God. Because sometimes interruptions come from someone else. An example would be two Jewish Hasidic women are, are, are walking their, their infant sons in a strollers in, uh, in the streets of Brooklyn. And that they each have boys, and they, uh, they, they are well-known in the community, and people come up and say, oh, oh, your sons are so beautiful. What are their names? And, and one mom said, this is Jacob, the Supreme Court judge. And, and, and over here, the next, and what's his name? This is Simon, the heart surgeon at Mount Sinai Hospital down the street. See, moms like that have their children right in their scope. They have the plan already worked out. And whether their sons want to be dentists or, or painters, didn't matter at that time. Mom wanted them 
to go into law. Mom wanted them to go into medicine. And sometimes somebody else's plan is is what we, we sense we have to follow. Somebody else's plan. The cartoon in Leadership Magazine once, a pastor had his notebook open and it was full, of, his calendar open, it was full with, with, with three, four, five, six, seven things in every day. And his wife just looked at him and said, honey, God loves you and everybody else has a plan for your life. So we have to be careful. Sometimes, sometimes we run on somebody else's plan and it seems like the right thing to do, but there's this awesome God who desires that he work out his plan in. How do I know that? How do I know? There's a scripture from Philippians that reminds us that he doesn't just have a plan. He's active. This is the only God in all the world religions who's actively involved in our day-to-day, moment-to-moment, heartfelt, soul-enticed moments where he really wants us to be aware of the plan that he's working out in our lives. And so Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to your own plan. No, his plan. His plan in our lives. And this is where the pushback, our common human nature might, might come in, wouldn't it? This is God at work. Everyone who honors God, everyone who loves the Savior, everyone who's touched by the Holy Spirit has a placard all right down the front of them saying, God at work. Got to work at you and you and you and you and me. That's his plan. It's his will. So we oftentimes easily talk about, well, God's, what's God's will for your life? This, this will is found as we walk on the narrow way, Jesus said. Take the narrow way. It's hard. It's not easy walking into the will of God what he has planned, and, uh, and the world and the flesh and the devil, they just would rather move us away and torture us and, and seduce us into doing something else other than the will of God. But when the will of God is our passion, when the will of God is in our lives, then we kind of follow in the same steps. Even though there's very few people on the, on the narrow way, says Jesus. And on the broad way, there's a whole lot of people It's a very broad road. It would involve any kind of thinking, any kind of philosophy, any kind of indulgence, any kind, anything, anything, anything. Because it's your plan. Because it's the world's plan. Because it's the flesh's plan. Because it's the devil's plan. We might even not be aware of that, which is operating in us. But when when we secure ourselves in God's plan, in God's will, so that he could act his plan on our lives. Then we're following in the steps of the people of the Christmas story. Christmas story starts with people who were patient, believe it or not. And the Christmas story is bookended by older people, people well into Social Security, well into their pension. The, the, the couple... Elizabeth and her husband. Husband standing in the temple and the God and God speaks to him. Said Zechariah, the angel of the Lord Gabriel came to him and told him what was coming. And they were righteous people, the Bible says, and they were they were ready for God to operate. And and then this very solemn statement in the in the gospel says that but Elizabeth was barren. And they were and she 
Can you imagine? The Bible just points out she was very old. Well, so was her husband. They were well into their geriatric years. And the idea of having a baby was long gone, wasn't it? But the angel said, you're going to have a baby, and this baby's going to be special. He's going to be the forerunner uh, for the Messiah. And Zechariah had a few questions, uh, doubt-based questions. Not faith-based questions, but doubt-based. How can this happen? How's this going to happen? And Gabriel said, um, I'm going to hit the mute button for nine months. You're not going to be able to speak for nine months. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I get his messages. I'm giving a message to you. So you're going to be very, very quiet for the next few months. Nine. Nine months. But they were, they were patient as they waited this out. They had waited a long time. They, well, actually, they kind of given up in their patience, but who wouldn't? At that age, to have a baby, and they did have a bouncing baby boy who loved locusts and goat skins to wear. It's a wonderful story. And on the other end of the Christmas story are two people, Simeon and Anna, both being a part of the temple that, that the Holy Family would walk into on the eighth day of Jesus' life. And Anna, who saw the baby, just recognized that redemption in Israel has come. And she was a prophetess. So the religious leaders kind of wanted to keep their distance from this woman because they never knew when she was going to just speak a word unto them that usually was more of a rebuke or an exhortation towards the Pharisees and the scribes and the priests who were not expecting the Messiah. But she knew. Simeon, who's a uh, Who's been, who was told at some time in his life, you're going to see, you are going to see the Messiah. And he was old, and so can you imagine having a promise from God and just waking up, is this the day? Is this the day? But I think that should be common in each one of our lives. I'll be honest, I don't always wake up with every day and thinking, is this the day that God's going to do something really super and even supernatural in my life? Am I that excited? Am I that poised? Am I that primed for that to happen in me? We all have those times where we're not really looking intently for the next move of God, but Simeon was. And when he saw the baby, he sang this song, this precious song that declared who this baby was. So in between are a bunch of young people, younger people, who had this second trait going on in their life when they were, they were ready. They were ready. How does somebody get ready for God's plan to work out in their life? These people weren't, weren't expecting what happened, but somehow they were ready, casting crowns in their, in their song until the whole world hears. It just says repeatedly in the song, ready yourselves, ready yourselves. Does anybody on this stage who play this beautiful worship music not get ready to pastors, not get ready to preach, to doctors not get ready for your heart surgery from that guy that's going to, from Mount Sinai deal? Of course, people get ready 
because it's their nature and it's because it's their calling, it's because it's their profession, and because it's their inclination to be ready. And the Bible says that when you and I get ready, one of the ways that we get ready, we can't talk about all the ways that help ready ourselves for the moment. But we set our will when we allow what, Tim, what, what Timothy heard from Paul in 2 Timothy 3.16. The word of God is God-breathed. It's inspired. Don't let anyone ever tell you that, no, it's, the Bible should have all the supernatural things pulled out of it. Let's be rational when we read the Bible. Don't be fooled. You'll hear it. You might hear it in high school. You might hear it in college. You might hear it on a news show. Some people saying that, well, the world was made 67 billion years ago and I was there to see it happen. No, not 67 billion. There's an age to the world that's a lot younger than you'll hear on PBS or Discovery or the History Channel. So we, we know that God's word is from Genesis to Revelation, it's, it's breathe, life, truth, grace, mercy. So it's good for teaching. And the pastor, Pastor Joe and Pastor Tom, stand up there. They're ready to teach you from Sunday to Sunday. And you sit back and you say, thank you, Brother Joe. Thank you, Brother Tom, for teaching me. I want to be taught. I want to learn. And then there comes this moment when Pastor Joe and Pastor Tom do some of the other things that the Bible says happens in us and to us. So the Bible says that, that the word is good for rebuking. Anybody here like to be kind of stood straight up and, and kind of warned that something happens? People can begin to untie their collar here. When, when it comes to a rebuke, a, a warning, uh, no, that's not right, kind of teaching doesn't happen all the time but when it does that's one of the purposes of Sunday that it if we've not been doing right we need to hear a word that tells us helps us instructs us teaches us how to do the right thing it's awful good for correction when Christina our, our daughter who threw up on me that day came to us as a and tripped over that when our daughter came to us, she was two years and two months old, flaming redhead, just the cutest little bug in the world. And the first thing she did, we had 13 steps going up to the next level of the house. And uh, the, the caseworker had said, all right, Christina, they're going to go upstairs and get your room ready and put your clothes on. And she just started walking the steps. I can do this myself. I can do this myself. Adorable. And one of those times in our, our lives where sometimes a child, a teen, an adult needs to be, we need to be corrected, don't we? And it might come in a word from God, it might come in a song, it might come from a, a brother or sister who loves us, it might come from a pastor, it might come from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But we need to be able to be corrected, don't we? We need to be able to be taught. We need to be able to admit when we've done wrong and to actually be rebuked in that. We need to be able to 
say, okay, I, I'll stop doing this and I'll start, to, I can see now. And then to be trained, to instruct it on, on how to live in righteousness. That's, that's how we ready ourselves. With some common everyday turning towards the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit so that, so that they can speak to us, so that they can nurture us. And that's what the people in the Christmas story were. The supernatural, the miraculous was happening all around them. And somehow Mary was ready, even though she did not understand a word that was being said to her, how this could happen, she was ready. I'm, I'm a handmaiden. I'm, I'm bound to you, Heavenly Father. I'll do what you want. Whatever you want, I'm your servant. Joseph, who was intent on doing the right thing, not the public dramatic thing of pointing her out and saying she was unfaithful to me during this time of being betrothed, he's going to divorce her quietly, hand her the, hand her the, gift, the bill of divorcement and send her on her way. But he loved her, but he had to do the right thing according to his mind. But he was completely ready when the angel in a, in a, in a dream said, Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because you're going to have the Son of God born right before you and you're going to raise him. So ready yourselves. Set your will. Get up, Joseph. Go hug that woman forever and raise that boy and that teen and send him on his way at age 30. So they were, they were ready. The shepherds knowing nothing about the heavens, were ready to go because they were told, because they were instructed. The wise men traveled for perhaps a couple of years from the time they saw the star in Bethlehem. And then they followed. They were patient. They were ready. And they were obedient. The hymn says, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his way, what a glory he sheds on our on our path. It's, it's not, nothing better to be happy in Jesus than to do two things. To trust the Lord with all of our hearts, not rely on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge him and he will make our path straight. That's what happens when we are ready to be obedient. Now you and I, we've not always obeyed. We've not always said yes to his will or, or I'll say no to a prompting from the world or the flesh or the devil. But we've learned along the way how to just kind of just let our defenses down and be ready to obey. The world was changed because there was a priest and his, and his wife who said, I'll be patient I'll be ready, and I'll obey. Because shepherds did. They were the first witnesses of what happened in that manger, and they went out and told everyone, and the whole region marveled at these lowly shepherds who were nothing in the eyes of the community, but they, they were lifted up because an angel said, go and do this, and speak of the majesty of God and his newborn son. 
because people waited at the temple and confirmed to Mary and Joseph and Jesus what this world was going to look like. Because, all because, people were ready. They were patient. And they were obedient. Because the plan of God is active in your life and in mine. Is this a season when your heart is so ready to do whatever, to say whatever to whomever? Is your heart so ready right now when you, when you pick up the Bible or when somebody else picks up the Bible to teach you to preach? Are you, you ready? Are we ready? It's God directing you patiently through his will. His will is sometimes as dramatic as opening up the skies to the shepherds. And sometimes it's as quiet as him whispering to us in a dream. Saying, when you wake up, it's a new day. I'm taking you on the narrow way in a way you've never been before. I'm standing here today as a, as a retired pastor, but as a pastor for a number of decades because four men, that's four, right? Four men, four men in the college that I attended, good old Roberts Weston College, yeah. Uh, I was in a Weston church a few weeks ago and I said, I'm from Roberts. Am I allowed to say that here, all you Houghton lovers? When I left from the Westian church to go to a free Methodist church to pastor, the Westians found out I was going to the free Methodist and they said, oh, they're good people. And when I landed in the free Methodist church in Willow Grove, Pennsylvania, honestly, folks, I said, I've been with the Westian church for a number of years. Oh, they're good people. So now United Methodist, you're way up over them. Sure. So be encouraged. Wesleyans and Free Methodists hovering around, but United Methodists just stay united. This is good. Because four men at uh, the Religion Philosophy Department at Roberts Wesleyan College. I went, I went to Roberts Wesleyan College a young lifer. That's how I got saved. And I was involved with it. And, and I, that's how I saw my life. God's plan for me was to get Bible training so that I could go out and be a young life leader for the rest of my yippy-skippy life. This is going to be so cool, so cool. And almost from the beginning, from these, this philosophy professor and these three Bible teachers just kind of honed in on me. I'm not not telling a paranoid story like they were always trying to get me, but they learned what I was going to be. I was going to be a young life leader. And they all started to shake their head. No, no, Dave, what I see in you, I think you should go to seminary and be a pastor. And I kept saying, no, no, no. You guys may be very bright, but the will of God for me, the plan of God, and it took months, but these guys never stopped. You're not going to pass my course unless you agree to be a pastor. That's what free Methodist men are capable of. No. I, and then there was this day on the third floor of Carpenter Hall, room 309, with the radiator making all those banging sounds like they did. I'm sitting there, and honestly, folks, 
You and I know that when God speaks, it's a voice that sounds just like your voice, but you know it's not you. And he just said this simple couple of sentences. They're right. What they're saying to you is right. My will is for you to serve me in the pastorate. So lighten up and live, Dave. Okay. But that was hard. That was, that was the time on the narrow road that was really hard. Knowing what God's will is and conforming to it is sometimes the hardest step. But the people in the Christmas story, they were patient. They'd been waiting for the Messiah for centuries upon centuries. They were ready because they were looking at God's word and they were, they were righteous, the Bible says, almost to a man or a woman. They were righteous people. They were ready. Their hearts were clear. Their minds were open. And when God spoke and when God acted and when God sent angels and when God did the miraculous, they were ready for it. They didn't understand it, but they were ready for it. And then they obeyed. And so this new season, these last few days of this unbelievable year and this new year to come is an invitation to me and to you to be patient in God's will, to be ready when he moves, as Philippians says, to act as he acts, and then to be obedient. And so every one of the Christmas story people had this wonderful thing going for their lives. They said, help yourself to my life, God. Everything I know about myself and everything I know about God, I'm in. I'm on. Help yourself. You can interrupt my life. God interrupted everything. Every single person in that story, their lives were going in a certain direction, but he interrupted them because the new level of his plan for each one of those blessed people was on the move. Are you going to cooperate with the way I'm moving here? Yes, Lord. Help yourself to my life. Interrupt me. Any time. And sometimes people of God, that interruption will be really, really pleasing and wonderful and joy filled. Wow, look what God has done. And other times that interruption will be somber, maybe sad, maybe troubling. God, where on earth are you? Where are you taking us? What? What's happening here? I trust you. I believe you. I'm all in. How can this, and you and I have all had those moments in this past year, this this COVID that's interrupted everything in our lives, our work, our school, our sports. I hate to even line that up with all this important stuff. Our health. Some of you know someone who died. Maybe you know many. 
And you and I have wondered, and the pastors have been sent by God to try to sort this all out over the weeks and weeks and months and months. And they've helped us all that they could. Because when God does something in the middle of something that really isn't good at all, when God is working in that, he's looking for people who are patient, who are ready. Ready yourselves till the whole world hears the gospel of our God. Be a part of it. Be a part of what's happening. Be ready. And then we obey. So in these moments that are coming, my life's going to be interrupted in a more profound way than my hairdresser saying, you're going to have to wear that mop for a couple more weeks. You might even have to borrow your wife's, your wife's moose to control these colics that are springing up all over. Much more profound. You're going to have, you and I are going to have some disturbing interruptions. Wow, I never saw that coming. What, what's happening here, Lord? But because we've been patiently waiting on the Lord, which is not an inactive thing. Waiting on the Lord is, is more of a servant approach to this life. I'll wait for you to direct me. And until I hear that direction, I'll go about this business you've called me to do, but I'll be ready for something else that you have to tell me. Those interruptions that are coming, they might be shocking, but every one of them, when you and I are in the will of God, every one of these, these things that are coming to you and your life and mine are sanctified. They are moments or they're a part of a season that are set apart by his plan. His plan that you and I are saying, I want to help myself to your plan and I want you to help yourself to, here I am. You and I will say that hundreds of times if we're patient, if we're ready, and if we're prone to obey him. We'll say it hundreds of times. Here I am. I'm not sure where the next step is, but help yourself. Let's all agree that's how we're going to live our lives in 2021. We're going to be patient as God works out his plan. We're going to be ready when he makes his move and we're going to obey. Just like the characters, every single one of them. And we hold them up as people set apart by God. And I'm looking at a congregation and people online who have great potential to be patient, ready, obedient, and say to God, here I am, welcome to my life. Do whatever you want with my life. You pray with me. Father, we affirm today that you love us and you have a plan for our lives. We affirm today, we believe it, we're announcing to heaven, earth, and hell that we are, we love the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We love the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. We love the God 
who gave his only son up for us. We trust in you, Lord God. We're ready for you to work out in in your will and in your actions anything you want to do in our lives. Father, if, if we've been away from that kind of thinking for a day, for a month, for a year, if we've been following someone else's, or if we've been following the world and the flesh, and we've even given the devil opportunities to mess our lives up, we're praying today that this would be a, a day of thanksgiving, remembrance, repentance, and appreciation for the way you take a life that's been far away or stumbling and you straighten us up and you bring us back and you embrace us and you love us through the transition of coming back into your will. I pray for the one or the ones that are ready to come back to you. And I pray that we who've been walking with the Lord in the light of his world and we've been uh, happy in Jesus that we're even more ready to do as the people in the Christmas story did. I'm ready. I'm ready to obey you. I'm ready for you to take hold of my life and to have your way in my life. And so I'll say that many, many times, hundreds, maybe thousands of times in these next 12 months. But I will say it, and I will believe it, and I'll live it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.